Traders Live podcast. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Traders Live podcast. I'm half of your co-hosting team. My name is Chogas. Joined with me today is my other co-host, Marto, and our first ever guest. His name is Dan Nolan. He is a successful futures trader and I mean, he's going to get into some really, really good stuff today and talking about, you know, 30 days where he turned $100 into $100,000, which is probably as extreme as it sounds, but looking forward to chatting about that, his love of rocks, a few other things that will come up. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, Dan, I mean, I've known him for 12 months now and have seen, I guess, the highs and you know, you have some lows, but they're nowhere near as low as uh, as the highs are in terms of your trading. Very successful. And also got the chance to meet him maybe uh, a month ago. We caught up in Sydney. And one of the best things about Dan is in the trading world where egos run so high, I've met someone who is both successful and also very down to earth. And that is a very rare combination in trading. So without further ado, welcome, Dan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. How exciting. Now, look, been following you guys for a long time, um, Mato especially, and I know he's doing some amazing things in the trading world, and Chogas likewise. We got introduced, as he said, 12 months ago. Um, amazing space to be in, in the, in the trading world in Sydney. Um, and I guess that was really amplified for me throughout COVID times, um, you know, being introduced to these Discord groups um, and just growing my trading career out of that, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Mate, do you want to just wind back the clock? I think you said in your notes that you grew up in Sydney and and sort of that was early life for you. Can you just, yeah, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and maybe some of the, the cornerstone moments for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, Sydney born and bred. Um, was extremely fortunate during my young years to be able to work in a family business. Uh, so they were they had a, a plant nursery um, selling to some of the big supermarket chains, so extremely high turnover. Um, but ultimately, just being able to work with family throughout my youth was absolutely amazing for me. Um, Learned a lot of hustle and, hustle and grind um, from a granddad who sort of came to Australia in the 1950s, um, built himself out of nothing. Um, and, you know, what, what more can you ask for, you know, working and growing up with someone like that? Yeah, good. Mate, now that we've we've sort of got the intro out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and start the hour right about now. So just for people who are unaware, we do a $20,000 sort of trading challenge in an hour and we see just how well uh, I guess everyone can do in, in that hour and see what returns they can generate. It's not for sheep stations. A lot of the guests that we have on can't even sort of trade their style within that one hour, but mate, you've, you've gone to the effort of putting on some, some flashy lines and indicators. Can you just quickly run me through what those indicators are? Yeah, hundred percent. So I, th I thought it would make it interesting today. So I've chucked it on the two minute chart and without giving all of my secrets away, I like to think that I've come up with a strategy um, that can be applied to almost any time frame. And I know that sounds ridiculous, um, but essentially what I'm looking for is to put trades in either overbought or underbought and uh, I guess oversold scenarios. So what I've chucked up here on, on the screen is a, is a Bollinger Band um, and also an RSI. And so I guess straight off the bat, we'll go and chuck a short on um, for I think 50 units will do it here. If we can do that, play sell. Yeah, perfect. Now, I guess I can talk you through a little bit of what I'm thinking here. Um, what, what I try to avoid 
is being chopped up. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but what you don't want to be doing is finding yourself in the middle of a range and then going, fuck, I need to exit because it's gone against me or it's gone against my thesis. You want to be able to have a thesis and then try and get the extreme of that range. So what I'm looking at here is an RSI that's gone up above the 70 range and it's sitting at the very top of the Bollinger Band. You know, you could wait a little bit to see if this came down and dropped down here, but given the RSI sitting up there above the 70 and it's sitting at the top of the Bollinger Band, I'd be pretty happy to go and take a short there. So taking the short and, and what I'm really hoping is that this RSI then starts to come back down to the 50% range, we'll assess it there and hopefully it goes down into the 30% range where you start to let, um, take profit. And I, I, over many, 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 many years have started to realize that this combination um, can be applied to almost any time frame. So maybe we can chuck it on a different time frame and just talk about it a little bit. So we'll chuck it on the hour. And again, here, you can start to see like we're sitting here at the, the, the upper end of the Bollinger Band, sitting above 70. So you could take a short there. You'd probably start to get chopped up, but this is really where your stop loss of plus 10 to 15 points comes in. So you need to be able to say, you know, this trade might go against me for 10 points, but ultimately we're looking for it to come back. Um, and I know Mato is a pretty big believer of that as well. Uh, I think he trades in the, in the 15 points sort of range. Um, I'll probably keep it a bit tighter. 10, 10 points is sort of what I'm looking at on the indices. Yep, yep. So just really quick, two steps backwards here. Bollinger bands are a standard deviation above and below the last traded price. Is that right? Yeah, that's 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 right. And um, it's really evening out those those order flows um, to see where the strength of a stock or or the indice actually is lying. Yeah, yeah. And then the, so the RSI is obviously a relative strength index. And how how is that calculated? But to be completely honest, I'm not 100 percent sure how it's calculated. Um, it's yeah, just yeah. it's just something that. Sorry, I... then, then how do you get those overbought and underbought signals? Like, when are they generated? When price obviously trades below a certain number of periods of the of like a prior bracket, or yeah, yeah, or I guess you're starting to look where an acceleration of a price is going to stop, and and I think that's really where I have made my money over the years. It's it's knowing when the market is about to be exhausted in a trade or is about to become very strong um, going in the direction that you want. And so I don't know if it's okay with you guys, I guess we can we can roll into how we turned $100, $100 into 100K. Um, and that probably sounds ridiculous, um, probably unbelievable if you guys weren't there to witness it as well. <laughs> So Mate, it sounds like it's straight off one of those YouTube ads. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's straight off, like come join my course, a hundred bucks into a hundred grand in 30 days. It's, <laughs> it's straight out of that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. If, if I did not witness it, I, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be taking the podcast going, well, like, sure. This guy's full of crap, but yeah, yeah. I saw it. It's uh, yeah. yeah. Guys, yeah. can I just get a mic check? Can, can you guys hear me or no? Yeah, yes. sure can. Because I really want to hear this story, but I've just been looking at your uh, blank faces for the last uh, five minutes. So hopefully we'll have better luck, but jump into it, Dan. Can't wait. Yeah. So, so look, to, to premise the story, I never started the challenge with, I'm going to turn 100K into 100,000. Um, the premise started uh, of 
had just closed out a month and thought, oh, you know, that was that was okay. It was nothing exciting. Um, what can we do to make it exciting? And, and I think at that point, um, someone had reached out to me and say, you know, you're not doing your daily reviews as much as you used to. And I thought, okay, how can we make this a bit exciting? So I decided to show like honestly and openly um, how how easy or how hard it could be to grow an account. Um, so that was the challenge I set myself. And to be honest, whether it was a hundred bucks or 500 or a thousand, it, it really wouldn't matter. It's it's sort of the same thing. Um, but to give you an idea, when, you, when you're trading indices, hundred bucks means you can buy three lots at max. So at that point in your account, your Betting 100% of your of your margin, um, so it can be pretty easy to blow up um, very quickly. But once you start to get into the thousand dollar account, um, you can then start to revert back to normal trading. You can start to bet five lots, ten lots, um, and then once you're you've got an account of five grand, you can then comfortably trade ten to twenty, and you're only risking fifty percent of your your portfolio, which is sort of where you should be, in my opinion. Um, I'm not a firm believer of you need to have a $50,000 account to only uh, be betting 1% of your account. Um, I know that's a statistic okay. that people talk about all the time. It's, it's not necessarily how I like to trade. Um, I guess another thing that I should premise with my type of trading, which goes against the majority of what other traders will say is you, you, you don't need to be scaling into positions necessarily. I think you can just go and if you have confidence enough in the trade, um, you can go and just find your your entry, um, manage your risk, and then potentially if the trade goes with you, you can start to scale out. But um, I, I like to be either in or out of a trade. I don't like to just be putting my toes in, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. And does that play into then the discipline that you have to have because you know that your bet size is substantial you are inadvertently then taking only like better positions rather than sort of oh yeah I'll, I'll throw I'll throw a small size parcel at, at that and if it sticks it sticks if not I cut, yeah. cut myself up exactly and I think that's that's exactly what I'm trying to do with my strategy is be confident in the entry um and sort of as you can see here it's, it's pulled back a little bit already from where we entered um be confident in your entry and manage your risk accordingly from that. Um, if you were if you were putting your trade, like say down at this level, um, you're, you're essentially betting. Um, you, you, you've got no idea which way the market's gonna go, but at least up at these ranges, you can have a pretty confident um, standpoint for your trade. Yeah, so right now you're, you're trading on the two minute chart on your, your uh, sort of monthly challenge were you trading off the two minute chart were you going to those higher time frames what was there any difference yeah. in, in how you were trade yeah so so look i've i've sort of prepared this um earlier and we can talk through it so the the period that um that money was made over was sitting through sort of september october period and it was it was a point in the oz 200 where i had noticed that it had stopped making highs um so once it started to put in this candle here, which was very close to the upper Bollinger Band, I knew that there was going to be high probability that it would start to fall or, or come back to at least um, cutting these levels through here. And this is the daily chart. Um, so it's always really good to have an idea of where you're sitting in, in the scheme of things. Um, 
And then you can start to then move into the smaller timeframes and, and scalp if you so desire. But ultimately you need to be on the right side of the market to make money. Um, that's pretty much what it comes down to every single time. So there's, there's an example, it was 42 days um, or, or 30 bars as they like to say, and it dropped uh, straight out of the 7,300 and came all the way back down to the 6,700, which was an extreme drop. Um, I didn't necessarily expect that. I did sort of know that it was gonna come back down to at least these levels. And once it puked through them, um, I knew that we were just in for a bit of a ride. So that's, that's sort of where we mm. got to. Yeah, and I mean, is that part of your, your trading strategy in general? You sort of do a top-down analysis on, I look at the higher time frame where that is on, on a Bollinger Band and, and relative to the market, and then that filters all the way down through the time frames to then influence your yep. positions intraday. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this was uh, the daily, um, just to give you sort of an idea of, of what I was talking about there. But then if you go and zoom into the hourly, you can then start to see that it gives you opportunities to manage risk in a really simple way. So let's say you got an entry, not at the top because no one's gonna get that, but let's say you started to enter somewhere down here once you realized that that was an overbought position in the chart, it was going down. Once it started to go back up here, you might've thought, okay, I'm gonna stuck a stop somewhere up here. It puked again. You, you knew you could cut a stop in at that next high and then from there it was just you know a case of not closing your position because there was a chance that this was going to be a big move um then once it got to down here you can sort of see that it wicked down out of the bollinger band you knew then that you were going to be pretty close to the bottom and whether you closed out down here or here um once that green bar had started to cut in you you've you've essentially managed your trade um you've taken your profit off and there's no reason to go and get back in a long position straight away, but you know, you've made that really good trade. You can then sit on your hands for a day or two, re just you know, pull pull your um, own mentality a little bit, and then reassess. Um, and look, it's I'm not going to say that you know you, you're going to make 10k days in here every single day, but here's another level that was set up. It puked through that, and and again, you would have a have a, have a great opportunity to short the the downside of that. Yeah. So in your 30 day challenge, were you holding positions overnight? And then now day to day, do you hold positions overnight at all? Like what's the general holding time? I I do. Um, I do often hold overnight and it's probably one of the beauties of trading indexes is that they trade close to 24 hours a day. So you've got double the amount of time in the market that you do um, versus trading equities, which is traditionally what I used to do. And, and I think for me being a day, cause I've, I've done the full circle. I've done long-term investing, done the day trading, uh, or I guess short-term trading, and then moved into day trading equities, um, to the point where you close out your positions every single day. Um, and for me, I just found you were never able to carry risk overnight. So therefore you're only in the market 50% of the time of what you could have been in indices. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's really really interesting last thing on that hundred dollars to 100k challenge would you like if i was to plot your equity curve was it quite parabolic in terms of you know very very small days with small account size and then essentially in tandem with your account size going up you had uh essentially the, the money you're drawing out of the market going up 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's probably a really important thing to recognize is initially I was only trading two lots, moving into 10, moving into 20. But then once you've once you've got the account size and you have the ability to trade maybe a hundred lots at a time or even two hundred lots at a time, it's no different. Um it's just being able to change the mentality of carrying a big parcel because I've seen it so many times and and it happens to me every now and again is you've got a big size and therefore you must be right. And the beautiful thing about indexes is they don't care about you at all. They, they, the majority of the time, they don't even know that you've got um, an order in there, especially if you're trading a CFD parcel. It's, it's just, you're so minuscule in the scheme of things that you're just going to get run over if you're wrong. Um, so the best thing about it is you leave your ego at the door and your, 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 your PL will be a reflection of that. Yeah. Like you either get on side or you, you or get run over. Or, yeah. Or you steamroll. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's really interesting. Would you recommend that sort of $100 account challenge or any sort of, um, similar sort of challenges for traders that are still trying to find, I guess, an edge or their place in the market? Like, was it a good learning experience for you or what, I guess, if you were a trader who's gone, wow, I've just made heaps of money doing that. Like, or you've made heaps of money. If I was a trader still trying to find that edge and still trying to find my place, how would you go about taking those initial steps and approaches? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I genuinely believe that the PL is a byproduct of the process. Um, and I know you've, you've heard that so many times and I know so many traders out there will have heard that so many times. And it's so hard when you're starting out to think, fuck, I've only got $1,000 or, or 5K to trade with. Um, I need to be betting my full parcel all of the time. Um, I need to be in the market all of the time. Um, and, and it's just not true. Um, as long as you follow the process, you you have a plan, the money will be byproducts. You know, it's it, I think it's just coincidental that um, the, the $100 turned into 100K. You know, I would have been perfectly happy with 5K um, just as long as the process was there. It, it just so happened that I was on the right side of the market at the right time and and had the right tools to be able to follow it through. Yeah, okay. So you do think that some of the, not the overall success, but the success to take it all the way to a hundred grand was um, a good market timing, good conditions that aligned with how you were trading. You were in the in the right sort of mind frame and everything like that. Like if I was to say, okay, go do it again in February, do you think you'd be able to pull exactly a hundred K again? Or you think that the actual no. PL results would be no, different? no, hundred percent not. And and I think this month is a good example. Like it's just chopped about for the first eight days and I've been just, you know, turning really tiny amounts, but it doesn't matter because, you know, you've, you've got a process, um, the right trade will come at the right time. And, you know, if you make a hundred K in a month, what, what difference does it make if you're only making, you know, five, 10 K the other months? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good insight. Thank you. Outside of the trading challenge, what is your account size and, um, sort of month to month are you withdrawing month to month? Do you keep it a consistent balance and, and how big or small does that look? Yeah. So look, I, I'm a pretty firm believer that you don't need to have a big account size to make money. Um, and, and I'll talk about equities, sorry, I'll talk about indices specifically, but 20, 20 K would be more than ample to get you across the line. And, and, you know, 
it sort of shows we're trading a 20k account today um and and we're sitting here chopping about we're up 160 bucks but you know it is what it is um that would be my recommendation is 20 20k a month um for any retail i mean you know if you're not retail you should be you, you could potentially size up but 20k for a retail account would be more than enough and yeah i i'm i'm also a pretty firm believer in that you should be taking money out of the month uh, sorry each month um reward yourself reset don't blow up on a big account size because you know if, you, if you've got 100k and you blow up that's 100k but if you blow up on 20 you know that's one fifth of, of the blow up so yeah something something to keep in mind you you just need to be able to stay in the market because the right trading conditions will come to you um you know i i keep saying it so many times uh the market will say stupid longer than you can stay liquid yep yep no that's very sound advice and i mean yep i've been there yeah, we've all been there we've all been there yeah yeah just quickly jumping back onto your trading we're about 15 minutes in you've turned your 20,000 into 20,250 at the moment yep. so you're 250 dollars up the market looks like yeah as you said it sort of has has peaked and, and that short is is playing in your rsi is coming out of that sort of high where where to from here yeah, so we're, we're, I guess we're also lucky. Um, we're, we're trading around the 12 p.m. mark. Um, I know you you were sort of doing that on your episode. Uh, steal one out of your book. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, look, there's, there are certain times of the day where certain things play out. Um, you know, the free market's the interesting one. It'll usually dictate the the state of play for the day. Marta can talk more to that, and he has. Um, and then... Yeah, 12 p.m. seems to be that mean reversion. And then, you know, you, you start to probably on a Friday see a, a, a peter off into the um, low side for, for close of market. Yeah, okay, cool. Mate, we have just spoken for the last 15 minutes on you making 100 grand a month, mm. but I think people will be shocked to know that that is not, it's not your full-time gig. Yeah, it's not my full-time gig. Um, I'm extremely fortunate that I, I love my work um, and yeah, there's not, there's not too many things that have uh, changed that over the years. So I'm, I'm an architect by trade, um, which is, it takes a bloody long time to become an architect. So for me, it was a seven year journey. Um, it's a, it's a five year uh, university degree doing a bachelor's and a master's. And even at the end of that, you still can't call yourself an architect. So. I guess to talk through my journey, um, you know, was high school educated to a to a certain level, um, was by no means the ducks of the school or 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 the brightest kid in the class, right? Um, I didn't get offered a a position for uni straight away, so I knew I wanted to be an architect, and that was probably out of pure determination at that point in my life. Um, I, I, I was um, why architecture? Yeah, yeah. Why did okay, you know yeah. that? So I was, I've, I've always been very into art, um, being into, I guess, culture, um, and architecture just seemed to be a nice mix of all of those things um, that enabled you to get paid for essentially what was a, a something that I loved, right? Um, and and so that's why I still love it to this day. It, it often at times feels like a hobby. I know you shouldn't say that about work, but it does. Um, and yeah, I, I just I just love it. Um, so yeah, look, wasn't didn't get a spot in uni. Did a did a TAFE course, um, which was 
probably the best thing I ever did. Um, very structured, uh, gives you an enormous amount of tools. So if there's anyone out there listening to this that doesn't know what to do, consider Taferoot. Um, and then went to uni when I was in uni, um, I already had a shitload of tools that other people didn't have. So uni became actually a little bit easy for me. Um, based on that, I was like, what, do I, what am I gonna do with all my free time? So I started a job in the architecture industry very early on in my, in my uni days. So that enabled me to just like step up the skill level um, and I guess leapfrog my career a little bit. Um, and then I guess also being a, a, a driven person having worked with, you know, my grandfather who built himself out of nothing. I was also working weekends and doing odd jobs, laboring, all this sort of stuff. I was building horse fences up in the Blue Mountains. Um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Um, just, you know, the good old hustle when you're 18 years old and, and you know, being being handed a hundred bucks at the end of the day, um, you know, that was your beer money for the week. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I guess that's your, your hustle then. Obviously, you're an architect and trading. Is that hustle and that flame still very much alive for you? Or where are you up to in terms of life? It is. It is very much. Um, it probably amplified my love for architecture a little bit more, to be honest, because it meant, you know, it, it, there was a secondary income stream there. You weren't just going to work purely to make money. Um, you, you, you're also there to enjoy it as well. Yeah, okay. And so I, you... Yeah, you and I... I think, sorry. sorry, I think I think that's um, probably a really important distinction for me is is because trading wasn't my full time job either. Um, it 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 just allowed the the I guess there wasn't so much impetus on making profit, um, which I think is where people get bought up. Yeah. So you you think that by being able to focus on process more than withdrawing money from the market that allowed you to sort of stay in there and build yeah. a, essentially a rigid trading system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah, great. It sounds like you're a very hard worker between TAFE, uni, a lot of work. Is that, you say your hard work has sort of got you to where you are? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, it's just a determination to prove myself right a lot of the time. So when I was younger and we're telling people of my parents' generation that I wanted to be an architect, like, fuck, why do you want to do that? They, they don't get paid very much. Like it's a shitty career. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to prove you all wrong and go and do this. And, and, you know, it was also one of those things where people said, you know, you need to be really good at maths. You need to be really good at engineering and physics and all this sort of shit. And it's just, it's just not true at all. Um, and I hope that rings true for a lot of people who have been told that like, you can't, do it because you don't have the skills um and, and it's just not true because you just learn it as you go and i think trading for me has been one of those journeys absolutely yeah yeah no that's that's yeah really great and i guess now you you've got both and you say you're very very happy with your job you're making a lot of money uh while trading is there any anything on the horizon where one of those drops off and it's just the trading or you're just architect or you're really happy with the balance that you've got? Oh, for, for the moment, just don't be. Um, and I think it's one of the first times in my life where I'm, I'm just content. Um, I just got engaged with my, with my partner. Um, so that was, that was an exciting, uh, thing for, for Congratulations. us. Thank yeah. you. And, and, yeah. and then also recently just buying a house as well. So, you know, you there. There are definitely times in your life, and I've I've probably been um, disservice to myself in the past not doing it. But just sitting at one point in your life, being like, 
shit, everything's everything is not too bad. Um, yeah. So just just content yeah. at the moment. No, that's that's really good because I think for successful people, it's always uh, you're never you're never content. It's always on to the next thing. What what can I be doing more? But yeah, taking some time to sort of look back on, you know, there was a time there where people didn't think you could be an architect. There was no money in it. You couldn't. You didn't even get a spot in university, and that would have been a really big like for you at that time. That mental would have yeah. been really really difficult. And I mean, now you're a successful architect. You're obviously successful in in family and and that aspect of your life as well. Which is, I mean, it, it's so interesting just to see how people can sometimes forget about all that other stuff. Where and yeah, it's good that you're basking in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good. Do you think uh, your younger self would be really happy with sort of where you're at? Yeah, I was actually talking about this with uh, with my partner the other night and, and just saying like, fuck, I, I actually didn't. Sorry, I knew I had goals, which I'd set when I was younger. And and it's probably this year that some of those goals have started to really play out for me, like in my career and um, and and also just personally. So, yeah, just just yeah. If, if my younger self was listening, like, good job, you, you're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I guess now just back on our screen for a second here, we, yep. we've seen a bit of a kick up. Where are you looking to take profit? Are you still holding a 10 point stop above where you entered? What's, what's that looking like for you? Yeah, look, it, it, it is. Um, and I'll tell you sort of why. Um, it's not really coming up to where we, we, we had the position entry yet. Um, you can sort of see where it kicked the Bollinger Band there. But something which is uh, interesting is on the RSI, it started to cool off. So the strength came back a little bit there. It's risen back into the mid band, but because it hasn't ticked up into that 70 or above, um, I'm still happy to hold short, um, hoping that it goes down into the 30. And if it goes down into the 30, then then we'll sort of look to take some profit off, I think. Yeah, great, great. Um, we've spoken a lot on your professional life. Now, where did investing and trading sort of first come to come into mm. your life? And what, what form did that look like? Yeah, look, I, I think it it started um, probably around when I was 16, 17 um, and, and wasn't actually investing at that point in time, but my, my grandfather was and and that was sort of the beauty of being able to work with him. Um, you know, we would, we'd work, have a, have a morning tea, uh, work and then have a lunch and then in those lunch breaks and whatnot, everybody would be sitting around talking about what the, what the share market's doing, what the stocks are doing, uh, interest rates. I remember interest rates at that point in time were a bit higher than they were now. So everyone was like, oh, you know, I make seven, seven percent in the bank, um, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he 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 was probably an early uptaker of the stock market. So he had a vast portfolio of of different different stocks, um, very diversified throughout the large, mid and, and small caps as well. But he the ones that he did really well on were the small caps where he invested early and then you know, just sat on them, waited for them to do something. Meanwhile, he's getting dividends on his large caps. Um, so that was that was interesting to see his point of view on how you should set up a portfolio. And then I think as I invest, I, as I started to get um, a bit more money when I was younger, started to look open, you know, what was it back then? Probably 
an E-Trade account um, with with ANZ uh, and then, you know, just put five, 5K in and then start trading some of the, the shit coins that were kicking about back then. Um, I remember some of the first ones I was trading, it was like Dark Horse Resources and, you know, they, they were just shitty mining specs um, back then that, that ultimately never really went anywhere. But, you know, it was that was that was interesting to me to be able to put 5K in with the potential to double that in, in say, a couple of years. Yep. Yep. So you, you were buying hold of those small caps for the first part of your yep. sort of investing in trading. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I've had this advice a few times from, from people who are older than me. It's, it's, it's when you're young, you can afford to take risks because you can always make that money back. When, when you're older and in your retirement years, your sole job is to hold on to that money because you don't have the ability to remake that money. Um, so that that's that that's sort of stayed pretty true to me. Um, took risks on some of the smaller caps that were floating about, and and some of them um, didn't work out so well. Uh, you know, I listened to your episode the other day where it doesn't work so well. I, I have one of those as well, and um, yeah, it just goes around in circles, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you were pretty active in the small cap space. Uh, did you? take a hit like I did and that prompted you to go elsewhere or what, where did you go to after your first sort of taste of the market? Yeah. So, so the market is interesting because it, it can convince you that you're very good at your job um, very easily. Um, and complacency and probably um, confirmation bias are the two biggest things which will get you in the market. Um, for me, it was confirmation bias. And at that point in my life, I probably wasn't as aware of it as I am now. Um, but, you know, I had invested this company, um, which was called Australian Mines, um, lithium, nickel, cobalt miner, and had put a, a fair chunk of money. So it was, I think, $40,000 in, into that. It had done really well. Um, it had done really well. And I think that account had grown significantly. Um, I can't remember how high it had gotten. And I was young and I was like, oh, this thing's gonna be gonna ride out. It's gonna become the next FMG. You know, you know how that story always plays out in your head. Um, you hold on to it, partook in some capital raises because I thought that was a good thing to do, uh, get some cheaper stock. Um, and then over time, I just realized that the director at that point in time was not as honest as he had portrayed himself to be. Um, and that's, that's washed out many years later. Um, Sick took him to court and, and he was um, removed from the company as the director. Um, so some of the things he said along the way, which led people to invest, I was probably one of them, um, were not as true as they should have been. Um, but, you know, I had researched that particular stock to the nth degree. I thought I knew everything about it, thought everything, I knew everything that could go wrong with it. Um, and it wasn't necessarily, no, it was, it was one, it was one announcement a little bit like you, where they said that they were going to get funding from uh, an international battery stock producer. And that contract fell through uh, for X number of reasons. And then it was just pretty much down from there. And I was like, oh, you know, eventually it's going to rebound. It didn't. And then from there, it was just all downhill. Um, so, you know, I got out, not, not, not for the worst loss, but it was, it was, I definitely walked away with less than the 30 or 40 grand that I invested in the first place. Yep. Yep. So 
I think there's, that's probably a very common arc, as I sort of touched on in my episode, common arc for people who are getting into investing and trading that, yeah, they, they have some highs and then they, yeah, they get taught, get taught a few expensive lessons, which, yeah, I mean, you always want to do without them, but I mean, it sort of forms, you, you, you need to, it's like the cost, you know, cost of yeah, it is. getting it's, the it's, education. It's, it's, it is, it is. It's just like paying for a university degree in, in one way. It's just, you need to be able to analyze what you did wrong in those circumstances. And for me, that was um, acknowledging that potentially, although I had studied this thing to the nth degree, potentially my hypothesis or conclusions were not correct. Um, and that was probably, you know, I had a thesis and then I was not, I wouldn't say necessarily looking for things to back up my hypothesis, but those things were much easier to find than the red flags. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You always, yeah, look at the shiny things and, and disregard those things that are, yeah, um, red flags. Like what I didn't put in my episode was the the same direct, like the CEO and everything that I'd spoken heaps to um, sold 50% of his shares sort of six months or three, it wasn't even six months, it was like two months before, um, before it all, all went bottoms up and uh it was he he put the post out that he did sold 50 percent of his stake and he just said oh i'm transitioning the business to people who can do it on production on a production basis rather than this this startup works and you know for, for that reason i'm taking a step back and i mean yeah you just lap it up you lap it up you're like wow this this guy's a good manager and this guy knows his business because he knows when to step away and he did know when to step away just <laughs> Yeah, not, not, not the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So look, that was, that was probably the, the second phase of my career was investing in companies that I thought were going to do really well. And then I was like, fuck, what's the point in holding a stock for a year or two to end up at square one? So I think, or maybe it, let's, let's, let's fast forward a year or two. Um, we, we start to see the emergence of day trading on, I guess, social media. So Twitter, um, all that sort of stuff. What, what year is this? When are you saying that? It would be about 2018, 2018, 2019. Okay. So then 2019, um, I start to become a little bit more aware of the day trading scene in Australia. Um, some of the people who, uh, you know, Nick Fabio is a, a classic, um, who, who was traditionally posting his daily profit and loss every single day. And I was like, fuck, he, he can make a thousand dollars a day. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, and so I started to learn how to day trade, um, moved from, from trading chess, um, equities into CFD. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, for me, it was pretty much a self-taught trade i didn't really necessarily have a mentor or anyone there to be like this is the xyz uh path you need to go down to achieve this it was just a lot of looking um and and just absorbing some of the information that the guys were spitting out so very appreciative for, for all of those early guys that were um, sharing their their pnl um you know good hustle and then i got involved in the i guess hot copper day trade um thread um so i was one of the main posters there for a long time and then from that, I got invited into a Discord group. Um, and then uh, that sort of brings us to 2019, 2020, uh, and COVID happened, right? So everybody's locked down in their, um, in their houses, in their apartments. Uh, every second man is trading the stock market. Um, the, the, the day trade 
spread just turned to shit. Like it was just shit. Um, you know, people were coming in and just claiming they knew everything. <laughs> so, so anyway, I sort of gave that away a little bit and moved into um, a Discord group uh, of of sophisticated investors, and they opened my eyes to really how shitty that that the ASX can be. Um, like throughout COVID, it was funded primarily on insider traders is not the right word, but if people who are privy to information um, before the rest of the market has it. And they're, they're typically the people who are then offered the, the capital raises um, and therefore know what the, the, I guess, share price is going to do in the next short while. So, I mean, everybody saw it. Um, there would be people who would be given uh, shares in a company. They would pump it up on Twitter. Um, the shares would then be released out of the credit raise and they would sell them straight away for a massive profit, leaving retail to hold the bag, essentially. So I, I started to realize how shit the ASX was and just moved away from it completely. Um, and so that's, that's yeah, how- Yeah, because that, that kind of ruins the efficient market hypothesis, right? That like it's a marketplace where everyone has access to the same information, but it's obviously a select group of people who didn't have that. And they, they essentially at the third stage of that hypothesis where there's people who have different information to what the rest of the market has. And that yeah, makes it yeah, near absolutely. impossible, I guess, to make yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does if you're a retail and you don't understand what is happening uh, in that regard, you know, at least at least when you understand what is happening, um, it, it, it can open your eyes to limit the possibilities of what may go wrong uh, with with a position that you've got. Yeah, it was it, it was I just I just was never you saw it so many times like it would a company would go into a credit raise it would be pumped up the next day, all of the people who bought or were given stocks in the credit raise would be selling into that pump and then it would just bleed out for the next three months. Um, and then, you know, those, those, those people um, who sold out may, may have bought their shares back for half of what they paid for them if they wanted to be involved in the company at all. Yeah. Yeah. So then you obviously decided, okay, well, time to get out. Did you just go straight to indices based on that or did, was it a natural progression out? How, how did that yeah, transition? It was, it was, it was a natural, it was a natural progression of me moving to day trading. Um, and, and that's day trading in the, um, most traditional sense where you don't carry positions overnight because you don't know what the potential risk is. Um, coming to the market every morning, fresh reading through hundred announcements, trying to pick the best five out of that day. Um, and then all piling in, um, you know, first, first in best dressed and then hopefully being able to make a profit at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, look, for me, for me, it was a tough grind. Like that is a tough grind having to wake up every single day and read through, you know, on a good day, 20 announcements minimum. And I'm, I'm, I love the market, but I'm not so invested that I, I want to follow the 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 bloody tenements of every single mining company um and it, you know and it, and it all plays into the neurology and all that sort of stuff as well i i just didn't have the time to dedicate to being able to map every single mining company just to be able to make you know 100 bucks yeah yeah no that's no that's really interesting that you sort of started there and got really into that your early days of strategy formation, I mean, you touched a bit on those guys who were consistently putting out P&Ls and I'm sure you sort of spent time back solving their trades for the day and things like that. Where, what was instrumental in your early days in finding profitability? Um, learning very quickly that 
if you're in a losing trade to get the fuck out like, as soon as you can because it's it's more than likely going to go against you um and yeah just being able to limit the losses and i think that has has been instrumental in in uh, building a bigger portfolio for myself is yes you might be able to make 5k but if you're going to give back 5k the next day what's the point in that um you need to be able to make 5k and give back 500 um that that sort of thing yeah yeah no that's yeah that's great and you so you're you're now pretty much all indices um do you have much of a a portfolio like your granddad or anything like that that sort of sits in the background or how yeah how do you allocate your capital at the moment yeah yeah so my capital is in longer term stocks um and in a diversified portfolio as well so there's a few in there that are just amazing dividend givers um my my you know Aussie true blue um our iron ore stocks have been very good for us for the last couple of years um but but then there's also like some other junior um mining stocks which are which are doing really well um you know you've you've also what i like about indices is it it's more of a macro um thinking products to trade if that makes sense like it's it's primarily driven by what other commodities are doing in the world um and also what the other large indices in the world are doing i, I trade oz 200 just because you know i'm aussie and i love aussie things but also because i i understand the sizing of it uh it's what i started out on and i just understand the sizing of it so it makes sense for me to continue trading it um yeah yeah but but that's actually what has always interested me in the markets is is following the macro scale um things not so much the micro scale which i think pissed me off a little bit in the in the asx trading um I like waking up every day and you know reading the financial review finding out what what all these different countries around the world are up to um what this certain company is going to do what the commodity price is doing how that might affect our our indice price yep yep when you read those financial review articles and you know maybe something goes and uh, happens in oil or something like that do you ever touch those and trade those when there is macro news around them i don't um but it keeps me interested in in what might happen in the indices yeah indices just seem to be my bread and butter um i understand it i don't understand the how to trade um you know gold or oil so well um i i, I just probably recognize that you know when oils when oil and the usd are starting to go up it's going to have material impact on what we're doing yeah yeah man i wouldn't be a good host if i didn't sort of bring our attention back to the trading. I know it's easy yeah. to get caught up in the conversations. We, just to, for our audio listeners, we had a short that was in the money for, you know, probably 20 minutes there. And now the Oz 200's turn, it's driving, you know, quite aggressively. It is, um, it is. We are now, we're now looking at $400 in the red, Dan. What are we, what are we thinking? We're, we're seeing how fast we can blow up the count, right? That's, that's what we're doing today. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, it's the inverse inverse trading. Yep. Inverse trading, yeah. Look, um, yeah, we'll take we'll take a little bit of a back foot here. Um, I'm not going to take the full amount out actually, and and I'll talk through that why. Yeah, I was going to say you're sort of now seeing that RSI and it's not you're seeing the RSI and the Bollinger Band sort of exceed upper limits, yeah. and you're taking positions off. Um, yeah, talk me through why you're yeah now not adding obviously you got account balance issues but yeah 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. 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 Yeah. 25. Um, so that, that's just to remove a little bit of the risk out of the trade. Um, you know, based, based on the parameters that I've set up for the way that I trade, we're getting up into the upper RSI and also up into the upper Bollinger band. Um, and that indicates that it might be starting to get overbought and there could be multiple reasons for that. Um, you know, we cut in higher low here, so there could be some traders who are speculating that uh, we're, we're going for a bit of a bull run here, um, but we're sort of up in the RSI. So, you know, the market might pull back. If it doesn't, uh, I've got a stop loss that I'm going to hit at around the 7180 level, and then we just have to call it uh, call it a day and then maybe sit on our hands and see what happens. Yep. Yep. Well, mate, you've got 15 minutes, 14 minutes left. So we'll see, <laughs> see if you can uh, at least bring it back um, a little bit over the next 15. Yeah. Well, look, it's the way the market goes, eh? Yes. No, it is. Um, we've just spoken about your, your transition a bit from, you know, realizing the ASX is um, a little bit of smoke and mirrors there and, and now going to indices, which is obviously more liquid um, moves on, on macro factors, I guess, that doesn't have as much sort of insider news on it um, in a way. If I'm someone who has been intraday trading the ASX, doing the small caps thing, and I am at the same position as you, I don't don't appreciate, um, you know, being the one that gets sold into and, and being the one holding bags. There's too many news announcements to read in the morning. I, I read five and then it's the stock over there that I didn't see that moves. What's what's the transition look like? What advice can you give to those people who are maybe looking to take the leap into indices and trading similarly to how you do now? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good question. And the I think the best way to answer that is probably you really need to have a think about what you're trying to get out of the market specifically. Um, and I'm not saying that if you're if you're finding it hard in the ASX that you need to um sell all your stuff and get into indices straight away um i think you just need to analyze the time frame that you initially got into the trade in the first place and you know i think it goes back to my original original thesis of i had a, i had a, a premise here that on the daily there was something that was going to happen um therefore I guess, sorry, uh, how do I, how do I describe this? The best advice I ever got was enter and exit your trades on the same time frame. So on this particular trade premise, I entered on the daily and therefore there was a reason to exit on the daily as well. And there was multiple times that happened for me. It was down here, down here, and then eventually all the way down here. Um, so if you were trading the ASX, I think you just need to go back to your initial strategy and, and, and analyze why you're in the trade and how long you wanted to be in the trade in the first place. Like if you're trading small caps because you want them to grow over a five-year period, then you need to be able to sit and wait for that full five years for, for, for it to play out. Yeah, I just, I just don't, time frame, don't, don't chop and change. Um, and and that's why it takes so long for people to get into the markets. Like for me, it's been probably it's well, like I said, sixteen. I'm thirty two, so there's nearly fifteen years in the market. Um, it's taken me at least I'm gonna say a solid ten of those years to find my grind um, to be consistently profitable. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not great. I've probably been in the market what, five five years now, which by your maths gives me another five years of struggle street before. <laughs> 
doing well. Uh, no, that's really good. That's really good. And then how did you go about actually, obviously you use RSI and Bollinger Bands, but then you also have an understanding of the macro and market structures. Um, early days, how did that discovery of using those and fitting and forming your trading stock, where where were the resources or what, what were you using that formed how you trade today? Um, it, to be completely honest, uh, honest, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't click for me at all very early on. Like I'd be, I'd be waking up in the morning, um, coming to the desk. I would potentially, you know, open, open up a, a report and go, oh yeah, this is, this, this report looks really good. Uh, let, let's hypothetically say it was an iron ore stock. Oh, this, this looks really good. I'm, I'm going to take a long trade in this because they've, they've done a good job. Meanwhile, the commodity of iron ore is down. 3%, no matter how good that report is, you're never going to make money on that trade because the macro says the stock has to go with the macro. It doesn't matter how good that single report is. So understanding how the macro impacts your little shitty ASX um, micro stock uh, is, is, is probably key to, um, I guess, understanding just the flow of the market and, and ultimately indices is that's what it's all about it's just the flow of money and the flow of the market it's constant it'll always be there um you just need to find yourself on the right side or the and and hopefully not get on the wrong side of it yep yep mate just quickly back on on your trades mm. here we're sort of seeing that rsi now sort of peak and come down is this where you would typically be looking to enter to a short or yeah yeah i well i would Yes, typically I would. Uh, and and for the for the punters at home, let's just go and add back another another twenty. So you now have forty five units short here, and we've still got some of the original parcel. We've just added back in about ten minutes to go. So let's see, yeah, let's see how it goes. But are you having to watch? Obviously, the screens quite regularly although you're still working a job what does that balance look like because it's it's obviously a very visual style of trading that you're running here and on this time frame it's you have to be quite active there i'm, I'm assuming well, how yeah. does that day look like for you now yeah so so it'll typically be um like a morning and afternoon event and if we go back to say what are we sitting on here the 30 minute chart you know again it's it's sort of the same premise um you're just looking to try and buy the extremes of the market like for example uh where's where's the morning yeah so this is this is sort of sitting in the morning um i guess you just want to assess where you are um with your with your strategy um and if it means that you can't enter a trade then you just need to be able to sit on your hands as well for me, for me, if I'm trading um, and having to work at the same time, it's it's smaller size, much smaller size, because you then need to be able to have um, a probably a larger um, stop loss, if that makes sense. Yeah, again, 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 it's just going back to um, you're you're entering a trade based on a thirty minute chart. You you then need to be exiting on a thirty minute. You can't you can't enter in a thirty minute and then you know towards the end of close going and close your trade on a two minute chart. It, it just sort of doesn't work the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Typically how many trades do you take a day? I would say when I'm in, 
if I'm looking for just those larger swings, it would be maybe two to three a day. Um, however, if I'm scalping on the two minute, it would be probably a little bit more. Like, I guess if we weren't hypothetically uh, talking as much as we were, you could have gone and taken profit down there, um, which probably would have been the smart thing to do. But, you know, I guess it got a little bit cocky Fine, so and, and such is such life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wanted to beat Mato. That was all. Uh, yeah, yeah, mate. I think he sort of rigged that. I think he wanted a very specific time um, to to trade. I think he had a had a few insights from his data that were were advantageous. But I guess good for him. <laughs> look, but look, you can you can you can see the premise of what I'm talking about. We were able to make a trade there at the top of the Bollinger Band. If I was smart, I would have gone and taken it off at the bottom of the Bollinger. It would have then, if you know, if I was being super scalpy, enter a long. Once we start to get up here and the RSI starts to get a bit cooked, you take your profit off and then maybe maybe take 50% of your profit off here and then see what happens. But, you know, it's um, for me, it's it's proved to be a pretty, um, pretty solid strategy. Um, now that I've given it away, I'm sure the edge will change tomorrow as uh, as it does. But, you know, um, yep. you know, you, yep. that's think, what happened I think... with my midday reversal. <laughs> You no nah, look look I'm 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 all for the community helping each other. Like I said, it was it was really helpful for for me in the early days to be able to see how some of those day traders were setting up their trades um and and likewise willing to do the same. Yeah yeah um, are you, so you you're quite flip like you're flipping quite often in your trading right because when something enters an extreme you'd be covering a short and then you'd be maybe jumping in along at the exact same time assuming that. Yeah, you're getting those use around those extremes of the Bollinger Bands. Yeah, not not to be completely honest, not if I'm trading um, on the daily, but if I if I put it on the two minute or the five minute, then absolutely because that's the beauty of trading these um, CFD um, instruments is that you've got both sides of the market to play with. Like, I just personally don't necessarily if you've got some if you've got a strategy that works for you, what is the point in taking uh, sorry, taking a short here and then waiting all the way back up here to take another short. Like realistically, you should just be there, there, boom, boom, boom. Um, and that's that really just amplifies your time in the market on both sides of the market. Yeah, yeah. Is there any resources that you've since found um, like later in your trading life or, or right right when you were learning trading, any resources, books, videos, people that you found were instrumental either in mindset or the actual trading strategies itself that you might be able to to sort of pass yeah. on yeah absolutely um the the go-to for me is mike bellatore's uh from, from smb capital's one good trade um and you know that that is pretty much the ethos of my my trading um mindset is one good trade then one good trade then one good trade uh, you know, he and I listened to that um, on through a podcast, uh, sorry, audio book. Um, not, not a huge read up, but, you know, if, if people want to read it, I highly recommend. But I listened to it um, just as an audio book. And for me, just that mentality of one good trade, one good trade, one good trade is, is really what it's about. Um, the market doesn't care. At the end of the day, whether you make a bad trade, um, just brush it off and, and go and find the next good one. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. Are you still actively working on your trading strategies or have you sort of refined that now where you're you're pretty comfortable with how you you're trading? I've I've ref I've refined it 
to the point where can manage loss. And for me, that's really what it's all about. Um, I know, I know it's very easy to sit here and say, yeah, you know, you make a hundred grand in a month. That's, that's all fantastic. But it is really for me about holding on to the money you've made and, and not giving it back to the market. The market just wants to take it off you every single time. Uh, and you've got to find a way to not do that. Yeah. Okay. So is that how you define, um, you know, that you're trading is at a comfortable place when you know where to how to manage the loss yeah yeah i think i think it is um because it's it is the market is very good at convincing you that you're good at your job um especially if you're just trading uh equities it very there are there are, you know there are people out there who have just thrown money in the market without understanding how the market works and have doubled their money and they think, oh, shit, this is so easy. And then they'll go and do it again and just blow it. Um, and that's ultimately what you need to avoid. Yep. Yep. Okay. No, that's, um, it's really interesting because some people, I guess, will almost overfit trading strategies in a, in a sort of colloquial kind of way where they're never satisfied with how they're trading and they might sort of take a small sample of losses and then go and try and overfit another rule on top of that that might then disrupt their own trading yeah yeah 100 percent um so where are we we're sitting sitting here in october right so i'll i'll, I'll speak pretty openly about this because it's pissed me off but i haven't been able to make money i haven't been able to make money in the market since the end of october right that is because i had a thesis that the market was going to puke the lows from here so although the chart said to go and do this, I had a thesis that the market was going to go lower. So I have been trying to short here, 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 all the way up this chart. And it sounds ridiculous, but I haven't actually lost that much money in that time frame. It's just that I haven't, I just, it's just that I haven't been on the right side of the market. And that is ultimately what it's about. Like, yeah, it's annoying to not make any money here for a month, but I may have only given back to the market 2k i'll say over that month uh and that's just being able to recognize that you're not on the right side of the market and just wait for the right time when you are um and i reckon i reckon we might be close um but you know i i don't like to make too many predictions but we'll see what happens in the next short while yeah cool two questions off that mm. um but really quick we've got about 20 seconds left so i'm yeah, just sure going then. to give you a quick Quick heads up that uh, your time's coming to an end. We're sort of, what have we got? $19,560. You know, far out. If we're given this another five minutes, I think we might have had a different result. The market does look like it's um, sort of backing off a bit off that that top of that Bollinger Band. Yeah, it is. Really interesting. Um, So, yeah, if you want to go ahead and close your positions now, we're we're all uh, all done with a... I'll stop it at $19,567. Yeah, all right, go ahead. Oh, you closed? Yeah. Perfect. All right. <laughs> That's great. Um, two questions off of the last couple of months where you haven't been able to make money, but yeah. you've limited your losses to sort of two grand or so. Um, was that done by cutting losers quickly, sizing down, or the combination of both? Yeah. So, which which so, was it? So... Initially, it was cutting losers early, um, but 
for me, once I wasn't able to turn a profit for like, let's say a week or two, I recognized that there was a high probability that my thesis for the market was wrong. Um, and stupidly, I kept, kept staying with my thesis, but on a very small scale. So like, I think even in the last week or so, I've been trading two lots just waiting for, to see if, to see if the market will, will change in the direction that I think it's going to go. Um, and then we'll just wait for it. We'll wait for the signal, um, because it will come eventually markets are cyclical or cyclical. Um, and yeah, so for me, it's just about minimizing probably the risk. Um, and you can do that in two ways. It's cutting it, cutting it early, but also reducing the size of your, your trading parcels. Yeah. Yeah. Some people probably have a lot of issue with reducing size and admitting they're wrong. Is that something that came naturally to you or? Do you have One, to work? Like, did you work on that? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's something that I have definitely worked on. And, you know, I think that that came, came to fruition uh, through that big loss early on in my career. Um, again, it's about the confirmation bias um, being probably the biggest destroyer of wealth. Um, just, just being able to recognize that your thesis is wrong is, is going to do you a world of good. Um, you know, it, you need to come to the market with an idea, but if that idea doesn't work, so like, so what? Like, as I said before, the market doesn't care. It doesn't even know you're in the market. So who, what are you trying to prove? You, you're only trying to prove it to yourself. And the faster that you can acknowledge that uh, you are wrong, the better off you'll be. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I guess that sort of um, sort of half answers that second question on that, that period of time where you thought the market was going to puke and it, it moved the other way against you. Do you sort of blame that on a bias or something that you stubbornly still holding as a mindset on, on which way the market was going to move? Or were you still, you, you think yourself very, very open-minded and still receptive and just wasn't a great period? I, I am open-minded. What, what caught me off guard on this particular move? Uh, was the speed and scale of it. Um, it was, it, it was, it was, it was the macro narrative, which changed within a day. It was the fed came out and said, they're not going to raise the market went, holy shit, this is a change in narrative for the fed. And what took three to four weeks to get down to this level took one week to get out of it. And that like, that absolutely blew me away. And it's, it's something that I know I've talked about before. Um, the market always wants to be green and you've just got to be so cautious of that. If you're on the short side of it, um, the market always wants to be green because the majority of players are, can only be long, um, essentially, right. If you think about all of retail, they only have access to be long. So the moment they have an opportunity to be long, everybody will, will jump in. And it's also this in modern times, it's the speed in which capital can be deployed because you've got superannuation funds sitting on billions of dollars that need to be deployed in the market all of the time. So the quicker that that gets deployed, like it'll just blow you out of the water. Um, and so, you know, I was wrong here. I admit that, but at least I was able to recognize I was wrong. And if I didn't, the profit that I made in three or four weeks would have been blown up in a week. So that, that was, that's a real eye opener um, that I think people should potentially recognize yeah yeah and it, yeah it was a really sort of aggressive time for buying in the market which was interesting because you're right it was it's usually the um it's usually the stairs up and the elevator down but it was it was obviously flipped on its head over the last sort of few weeks where that yeah that rhetoric changed from from the government yeah. in the u.s and um 
not not the government but the central bank and yeah, yeah off off to the races the market went and they, yeah you're right they were so eager to deploy capital so quickly yeah yeah has the market changed for you at all over the years you've been trading like we've just spoken about mm. like the everything being deployed really quick billions of dollars things like that is the speed that the market reacts to news and things like that has that quickened or is there any changes in characteristics that you've observed? I, I think because there is more capital in the market, which is just an absolute given, right? Given how much stimulus they printed over the last five years, um, the, there, there does seem to be a bit more flow on the on the larger time frames, but equally it's, it's very choppy. And something that I think about quite often is you've got the volatility index, right? Which is the VIX which is supposed to be a key indicator of volatility, not, not of the market being green necessarily. And we're sitting at all time lows. Meanwhile, in this one week, I would argue was the most volatile I've seen in probably the last two years. Yes, it was to the upside and it was green, but just because it was green doesn't mean there's any less volatility in the markets. So I think that is something that I've, I've noticed in the last couple of years is the speed in which it moves is very it's it's insane um and you can see it on the us indexes like if you look at the nasdaq especially like that thing just has been moving unbelievably quickly um in very short amounts of time mm, mm. yeah no i 100 agree with that which is yeah, it's been interesting to watch unfold and i guess it's interesting to see yeah how markets can change from you know, decade, it's almost decade to decade sort of thing, um, mm. as yeah, as the world changes. So I think gotta, in gotta 10 years time, right? the markets will look, yeah, yeah. That's it. You either get on board or you, you get run over. Yeah. Come and right. it all back. Yeah. Mate, what's, um, what's next for you? Like where, where are we at? We're talking next 12 months, five years. What are your, what are your hopes, dreams, goals, ambitions? Oh. That is, that is a good question. Um, look, I, I do really like, like, like I said, I like my job. Um, so I think, I think we'll be sticking around at that. What, what I hope it will give me is a little bit more freedom to, to explore my own thing, um, over a period of time. Um, and then potentially just work with, um, you know, the, the clients that I really like to work with. And, and for me, that is often not, not necessarily the people who have the biggest budget, but it's people who have ambitions for their houses um and that might be a young family who just wants to add a, a small addition and that small addition changing will, will completely change their lives um i'm i'm actually a big believer in architecture of we call it regionalism and that is um creating houses for the specific environment that they're designed for so it's it's a tailored made house for the site for the climate um for everything that you live in and I guess just to touch on that a little bit, um, what what I'd really like to see over the next next short while is is a change in in thought process for the general public of building bigger houses for themselves to just building what is necessary for themselves, um, being a little bit more humble. Um, the McMansion, as we call it down here in Sydney, has done no favors for the environment. It's done no favors for the the suburbs. Full stop. Because all the houses look exactly the same. Um, I think we need to go back to our, our grassroots a little bit and um, appreciate the environment and and uh, just yeah have a little bit more thoughtfulness for for what we're building. Um, and you know we're we're talking about an undersupply of housing at the moment. 
um, if we're actually going to build housing, it's got to be in a thoughtful way um, for, for the future generations, not just for what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could probably talk on this for an hour, but how do you think that changes with people's consumption pattern is only going one way and it's such a big topic on, you know, how we live our lives and how do you reverse what I, I'm like, I think comes down to that, that want for the biggest and best most consumption like people are consuming crazy like crazy amounts compared to what they were yeah look maybe maybe how, how do you think that changes maybe maybe it will actually be uh, washed out in this tightening of of rate cycle um and monetary um policy because what we're seeing at the moment is houses which were designed say a year or two ago are now going to tender and they are essentially not able to go forward because the price of building is uh, so exponentially more than what people had expected in the first place um, that, yeah, they, they just can't build them. Um, so, you know, let, let's, you know, as a society, let's have a think, do I actually need five bedrooms or is four bedrooms enough for my, you know, five person family? Um, the answer is probably yes. And for that, you'll probably end up with a much better space. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think the banks are sort of doing a good job at, at, at washing out the uh, discretionary spending. Um, but you know, let's let's make people's money work for them as best they can. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a really good way, and I think we'll we'll round it out there. How I know you're not too active on on Twitter or X, but I think people can reach you there if they want to chat more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anybody who uh, wants to reach out, please do so. Um, my handle is dbcharts or db underscore charts. Um, you'll find me floating about there, dribbling some some shit about the markets, um, posting a few charts here and there, and that's about it. Yep. Yeah, good, good. And again, guys, if you did like what you heard, obviously, Dan, thank you so much for your time um, today. It's It's been really insightful, and I think people who – uh, still getting their berries on trading, trading are going to get a lot out of this episode. We sort of really get into the nuts and bolts of the trading side. So that that is amazing value. Um, please leave a like, you know, share it to someone who, who you think would value from what Dan's had to say today. But, mate, that might do us. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks for setting up the podcast. Um, you know, it's great, great to have this sort of stuff for the Australian trading community. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. All right, mate. Thank you. Pleasure. See ya.